0: So I want you to open your hearts today. I hope you let God speak to you as we we deal with something that is so common to all of us. I mean, we have to admit, if we look around us right now, we're in a season and a time where there's this... There's, there's a lot of division. Can we agree with that? There, there's a lot of disunity among families and friends. It, it seems like if people can be offended, they're offended right now. And uh, I, I call it this way. We're always around a bunch of prickly people. And, and prickly people are, are sometimes hard to deal with. And I, I don't want you to look at your neighbor right now because you may be sitting by that prickly person. But we're in a season that, that we recognize a lot's changed. And there's some extreme challenges in relationships right now. I mean, I, I think what I've seen is this. For many people in the last couple of years, these things that they thought were foundational in their lives, a lot of those foundations didn't hold them up, or a lot of those foundations failed them. And we see literally families not talking to each other. We, we see marriages really struggling right now. We see churches divided, and then marriage is facing great tests because we're really at this place, I believe it is a crossroad in our culture. We're in a crossroad in our society. We're at a place of, of trying to find truth and apply it to every area of our life, but yet we have difficulty defining truth sometimes unless we have a basis of truth, and that's what the Word of God is for us. And I found when we're at the crossroads and we don't know what to do, we need to do what the Bible says to us. It'll be on the screen. It's in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. And ask for the ancient paths, and ask where the good way is, and walk in it. And notice the promise that it has at the end of that, and you will find rest for your souls. Look at the ancient paths. What are the things that work? What are the things that generations have known that we are now discovering or, or maybe we have forgotten and we need to go back to, to seeing some things as the way they have been instead of a, trying to always recreate something new to kind of put our stamp on this culture. You see, the world is constantly trying to redefine what, I'm, what I want to talk about today and that is our relationships. Relationships. The world is constantly trying to define relationships. What does it look like? What do we we have in our relationships? Culture's trying to shape new ideas around marriage, new ideas around our sexuality. And people want to know, and I get this all the time, well, Mike, what's your opinion about what's going on right now? And I have a simple answer. Why do you think my opinion matters? Everybody's got an opinion. That and a couple of bucks will get you a Starbucks down the road, right? Right. But you know, the reality is my opinion doesn't matter at all, but what God's Word says matters. Yes. That's right. What God's Word says is forever. What God's Word says is the life that we have as believers. I want to go on the screen, just a simple thought as, as we plow into this, and that is this. In order for relationships to work, we must let the one that designed them define them. We must let the one that designed them define them. That God in the beginning created us. That God in the beginning said it's not good that we are alone. That God put us in relationship. We are not meant to be isolated. We're not meant to live life in loneliness. Come on, somebody. We're not not supposed to be this this branch out here that's just by yourself. I mean, come on. God created you and I for relationship. But yet over these last couple years, we've come to a place, if we're not careful, we say it's not worth it. (laughs) It's just not worth it. I, I just want to there there been days i've joked with denise. I want to go back to plan a in our lives I want to go and live on about 300 acres in west texas with some cows and horses and dogs and my wife and i'd be happy I'd see you when I see you But then again, that's not what god made us to do or be and so I want to talk to you today about how we can Grow and build in our relationships because many people approach relationship in different ways. They say well Well, I don't like the way god defines them Well, Okay but, but you're not the one that created them. Okay. Good. I, well, I feel they should be done this way. You know, I learned a long time ago, if you live your life by your feelings, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I if I live my life by my feelings, I, I would have a ministry, it'd be a prison ministry because that's where I'd probably be right now. But uh, we have to recognize, again, it's not our feelings that define, it's really getting into God's word and letting God's word speak into our lives. The Bible says this, there's a way that seems right to man, but it leads to death. Now, not not physical death, but death of your soul, death of your marriage, death of your relationships. There is a real thief, the word says in John 10, that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's that's Satan's plan over all of our lives right now. If you don't understand that, you you need your eyes open right now. His desire is to destroy your marriage, to destroy your relationships, destroy your friendships. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full. And I today want to help you find out that full life and see how that applies in our lives. There's a last week we talked about the ultimate life hack being the word of god So today what I want to do is take an area of life that is common to all of us And I want us to look at god's word and say how do we apply it in this area of our lives? In fact, it's in an area that jesus was teaching in luke chapter 17 to his disciples and it's interesting to me that When he got through with his teaching their response to him was lord increase our faith And and I was going through my mind. I'm thinking these are the men and women that followed jesus and they saw him, like, raise the dead. They, they saw him heal blind eyes. They, they saw him turn water into wine. I mean, all the miracles. And it seems like they didn't struggle with those. But when it came to this one area of relationships, they're like, God, who can do that? And what he was speaking about was forgiveness. Forgiveness. One of the hardest things we deal with in our relationships. How do we walk in a life? How do we live in a way where forgiveness is something that we are always offering and living within? Check it out in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read out the NIV of this particular passage. It says this, Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And now you understand that, right? Wait, you, you, you hurt me seven times today and yet seven times you came back and said, forgive me. And God says, forgive them. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, I'm not that good. God, my, my humanity, my flesh goes, no, I'm done with you. And God says, you can't be done with you. You can't be done with you. I mean, think about this. We've been living in this period where, where there's so much disagreement. And how many know it's not a sin to disagree? Would we all agree with that this morning? It's okay to disagree. We have, we have all these opinions about how life ought to be and how things ought to be happening in our culture and, and ways today. And can I tell you again, having an opinion is not a sin. But where we have taken it is very sinful. And that is where people are now devaluing anybody who has a different opinion than themselves. They're devaluing anyone who disagrees with them. And now we've set up these us and they scenarios where literally we find ourselves hating and being hated. And the result of it is we walk among, we live with, we worship with, we're sitting next to sometimes highly offended people that don't know how to do relationships anymore that work. In fact, if they are honest, no one would say it out loud. But they would probably say, you know, this world would be a better place if so-and-so didn't exist. Or this world would be a better place if this, if this political group or this spiritual group or this whatever, if they were just wiped off the face of the earth. I had someone ask me the other day, is it wrong to pray that somebody dies? And I wanted to go, who are you talking about? No, i before I give you an answer, who are we talking about? No, uh, it really was that moment of like, wow, okay, that's pretty serious. Uh, I think we need to leave that in God's hands. How's that for an answer, right? Uh, but again, we have to recognize that it is so critical how we live. As Christians, we can't live in a way where we devalue others. As Christians, we just can't. We value everyone equally, why? Because we are made in the image of our God. And our worth is, is, is centered solely on this, and it's right over here, it's called the cross. The blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, was shed for every person that has ever walked on this earth. And that is the value that God has assigned to each one of us, so and because of that, we have no right, no ability, and no place to devalue anyone else, no matter what their opinion is, or what they believe or think. Listen, guys, we don't have the luxury. We don't have the luxury of having anything in our hearts against anybody else. And the reason being is our relationship with God is, all, is dictated by our relationship with others. We can't say we love God and hate our brothers. Did you recognize that? We, we, can't, we can't say, I, I love God and, and yet I don't like this group or that group. No. Our relationship with God is defined by our relationships with each other. And, and conversely, it's the same way. Our relationships with each other will never be as strong unless our relationship with God is correct. People ask me, what's the secret to a a long, good marriage? And I'll say, put God in the center of it. It all starts there. And learn how to forgive and learn how to forget and let God work through you. Because when God is is honored above all, then he helps us make everything else right. But guys, we can't live in this duality of saying, oh, I'm going to worship God on Sundays, but man, I hate people. I'm going to worship God on Sunday, but man, I wish they would fall off the earth. You know, we, we just can't do that because our relationship with God is inseparable from our relationship with those that we live with. John 13 puts it clearly this way. It'll be on the screen. John 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that ye love one another just as I have loved you. You all sort of love one another, but by this, all people will know that you are my disciples because you go to church on Sunday. Doesn't say that, does it? You'll know, they'll know you're my disciples because, uh, because you know uh, you, you listen to a certain radio station or, or, or you listen to Christian music all the time. No. He says, You'll know, they'll know you are my disciples if you have what? Help me out. Love for one another. Love, that word love is the word agape there in the Greek. It literally means the unconditional love. This love that is always open, that is always receiving, that is always reaching out. He says that is the only way the world will know you're my disciples. And I believe, the one, I believe the Lord wants to do a work in us today as the body of Christ to bring healing to hurts, to disappointments, to areas of distrust that have led to offense. Because we'll never say that we're offended, but can I tell you, a lot of people are offended. In fact, Jesus said it's very hard not to be offended. In fact, he said most of us will be offended somewhere in life, and we have to recognize this. But again, we, we've got to come and understand that in a world that is constantly looking to divide, we have to bring the love that God has called us to bring. Now, now here's simple. I'm going to put it on the screen. I strongly believe that we must have values that lead to opinions that should lead to actions that honor God. That last part's the most important, right? That honor God. But we cannot be against those who disagree with us and we certainly can't act angry and just be mean-spirited all the time It's like when people say well, aren't you angry at sin? I hate sin. I hate sin Because sin destroys lives But i'm not angry at anyone who's caught in sin There's a huge difference there church and I know that sounds trite People are like, you know, hey hate the sin love the sinner. It's true It's what god does because sin drove his son to the cross But yet, every person that you meet, everyone we see, his son died for. And God wants to reconcile to himself. So, again, we've got to recognize this. I taught this uh, to you guys back during the pandemic, a series we did on kindness. And, And the posture of our lives as believers is this we have to have a strong core, we've got to know what we believe. Stand on your values, but we need soft edges. Now, we, we, need, we need room for people to come into our lives and, and to engage and not just be immediately repulsed because of what is the, the values are that we live by. Again, there's no room for that in the body of Christ. And I believe it's simply this, because the greatest witness we have Really, the greatest witness we have is not memorizing scripture. It's not being able to name the books of the Bible. It's not, not some pedigree you have of being raised in certain church. The greatest witness we have today is a life lived out in front of the world where our hearts are bent toward obeying God and loving others. Can we agree to that? Yeah. And Jesus really dealt with this very early on in his ministry. There were a group of uh, Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the time. And they were always challenging Jesus because their religion had grown comfortable. They were in control. Can I tell you, if you are in any religion where you're in control, you're in a cult. You're in a a bad place. Because when you become God, this whole world's in trouble. But they were in control. They liked the way it worked, and so they challenged him one day. You will see this in Matthew's Gospel, again on the screen, where they came to him, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. And he said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? What they were asking him is of the 440 Old Testament laws, which one do we really need to obey and he went all the way back to Deuteronomy In fact, I shared this scripture last week and he said to them you shall love the lord your god With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind This is the greatest and first commandment and I imagine them thinking right there. We love god We're religious Man, we show up in the temple. We know how to do all the sacrifices We give of every of our we we tithe of everything. We're good people We're better than our neighbors. They, they had it down We love god and then he said, and. And they are like, we weren't asking for an and. We were asking for the one commandment. He says, and, and he goes on. He said, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You see, guys, when I ask myself, how's my relationship with God? I have to immediately go, how's my relationship with you? Because if my relationship here is not right, I can't show up and act like me and God are cool. In fact, when I come to worship God, if I'm, if I'm in a, a place of disunity or I'm a place where I'm separate from somebody or whatever else, my, my first response to God is actually repentance and saying, God, as far as it depends on me, your word says I have to live at peace with everybody. And I'm not doing so great at that. God, so help me. Lord, forgive me. Because again, the greatest commandment is to love him, but it's also to love our neighbor as ourselves. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Because I said earlier, this hack is not easy. In fact, it's one that uh, you absolutely need God's divine help to do this, because how do we live in a way where we stay unoffended so our relationships can be good, loving everyone no matter what their comments or opinions or thoughts may be, and loving God with all of our heart? Well, the key is we've got to learn to be quick to forgive. We've got to learn to be quick to forgive. I know this is difficult, and I know it's hard for people to forgive. And quite honestly, I've studied this over the years, and we teach this in our freedom group, uh, and I hope you'll be coming through that, some of you guys, this fall. But I really believe that for a lot of people, they look at that and they say, Mike, that's impossible. If you know my circumstance, it's impossible to forgive. And I'm convinced the reason we feel that way is I really believe that we don't really understand forgiveness. In fact, there's three areas of forgiveness I think we totally misunderstand and misapply. And the first one is this. I believe that we sometimes wrongly believe that if we are to forgive somebody, then we, that what we're saying is that we agree with what they've done. If I forgive you, then I'm giving credence that what you did must be okay. But can I tell you, wrong is wrong. Hurt is hurt. Lie is lie. Abuse is abuse. Forgiving someone never says to them that I'm minimizing the seriousness of the offense they committed. It's just saying that I value my relationship with God more than me holding an offense toward them. You see, we've got to recognize in order to forgive, it's not saying I agree with what happened. And the second is this. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Come on, somebody. Forgiveness, reconciliation is a two-player game. Do you recognize that? And both have to agree to participate. But forgiveness is one. In fact, forgiveness is not even about the other person. Forgiveness is about my my relationship with God that is now affected by the other person. And if I value my relationship with God, then I need to forgive them and release them into God's hands to work in no matter what's taking place. Again, not minimizing what they've done. And I realize teaching this again, some of you have been through some horrendous things. I know so many of your stories, and I'm like, how are you still standing? Some of you amaze me, and I know the answer is God. I know it's only God. But yet I also know somewhere you came to this place where you release forgiveness. Because otherwise you'd be eaten up with bitterness and you'd be imprisoned by your lack of forgiveness. Here's, here's the third part of that that we don't understand. Forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. Well, forgive and forget. How many believe that's possible? It's not a trick question. It's possible for God. In fact, he said when he forgave us of our sin, he cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. He chose to forgive us, and he chose to forget. But as humans, oh no, we remember. I've I've been, I've been knowing my wife since she was 12 years old. There are things I did when I was 15, she can still remember. But she can't remember what we did last week. Now, I have very selective memory, come on men, I don't have enough brain space to keep some of that stuff, right? So you let it go. But as humans, we hang on. But can I tell you, forgiveness is is not forgetting what happened. In fact, real forgiveness is knowing what happened and choosing to forgive anyway. Forgiveness is absolutely knowing what happened and choosing to forgive anyway because now the peace of God is dwelling in us and the love of God is in our hearts. My goal for us is this, is that in the areas where we've been offended or hurt, that that we get to a place through the work of the Holy Spirit where that becomes a memory and not just an emotional event that is continually wrecking our lives even to this day. And I hope today to show you how to do that. So church, here's my desire. Let forgiveness in our culture begin in the house of the Lord. In this toxic culture we live in, let it not be found in the church of the Lord. Amen? A little little better than that, or we're going to have to go back to that point? Let it it begin in the house of the Lord. Yes. Again, why? Because we represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You say, well, I represent myself. No, you've been bought with the price, the blood of Jesus. Scripture says, I'm no longer my own. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And until I learn that, then I'm going to live this life independent of God instead of being found in Him. When I'm found in Him, then my witness is strong and my witness is pure. So, how do we do this? Here's the second thing about forgiveness that causes us to say it's impossible. And it's simply this Somehow we believe that forgiveness is not fair. It's not fair. There's nothing fair about it. But can I tell you this morning, you don't want fair? I'm glad God's not fair. Because if God was fair, then I need to pay for my own sin. I don't want to do that. Christ did it for me. But no, forgiveness is not fair at all. (laughs) Listen... I don't want it. I, I, I want forgiveness in my life. I don't want fairness. There's a story in Matthew 18 that is, it so illustrates this. and you know Jesus was such a great storyteller, and he, he just told this to his disciples one day, because Peter came to him, and Peter must have I, I pictured this. Peter was caustic a little bit. Can we agree with that?" And, and he, was, he was upset because somebody kept sinning against him. And he came to one day and he said, "Master, how many times do I have to forgive this guy? Seven? I think Peter was thinking, I'm going to throw a number out here and at least I can get some justification. And Jesus said, no, 77. In fact, most scholars believe he said 70 times 7, and that's daily. (laughs) So in other words, what he was saying to Peter, he said, listen, if you really want to do it right, you're going to be forgiving every three minutes of every day, and that's if you stay up 24 hours a day. Because you're always going to be offended, Peter. There's always going to be things coming into your life, but you've got to learn to forgive. So he told this story about a king. And the king one day called his servants in who owed him a lot of money. In fact, he began the story with a man who owed him a lot of money. The scripture puts it this way, that he owed him 10,000 talents. Now, what does that mean to us today? In today's currency, that would be this way. This man owed the king about $41 million. How many thinks that's a lot of money? And if you don't, I've got a program here at Hope to get you to invest in, all right? $41 million. He's never going to be able to pay that back. And the king said, look, you need to pay me back. Or I'm going to take your wife. I'm going to take your kids. I'm going to take you. And I'm going to throw you in prison until every cent is paid back. And the man fell on his knees before the king. He begged for mercy. He said, oh, please forgive me of this debt. There's no way I can ever pay it back. And the king forgave him. How many know that's a hallelujah moment? $41 million. And what does he do? He goes out and finds a man who owed him some money. In fact, the, the story says he owed him what would be the equivalent of about $20,000. Now, in my books, $20,000 is still a lot of money, but it's, it's doable, okay? And he goes to this man, and, and, and he says, you need to pay me back everything you owe me. And the man said, oh, I forgive me. I, I, I can't do this. He says, no, today, you pay me back, or I'm throwing you in prison, your wife, your children until you pay me back everything. And that's exactly what the man did. And the servants of the king heard this. And they went to the king and told him what happened. And he pulled this man back in and he says, You are wicked. I have forgiven you of much. Should you not do the same to those who who owe you something? And he threw him into prison the rest of his days. And his story in the Bible ends right there. But the key to that story is found in Matthew 18, verse 35. And And it ends this way. It says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Yeah, it was a good story until that came along. We're like, he got what he deserved. And Jesus said, unless you forgive, you're in the same place. That's how much he, that's how valuable it is to our God. That's what it means to him. Because if we don't forgive, what he's saying is we're putting ourselves in our own prisons. And we're choosing to live in bondage. We're choosing to live in bound in our lives instead of in the freedom that God has for us. And the key to that is understanding how to forgive. C.S. Lewis put it this way He said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God forgave the inexcusable in me. Is that your story? It's my story. God forgave the inexcusable in me. How can I not forgive that in others? Here's the last thing I think we struggle with about forgiveness, and that is this, that many people think they can't forgive. It's impossible. I was telling the class on Wednesday night, I said, forgiveness is absolutely divine. Because if you ask me straight up, you say, you know what, I don't think I can forgive somebody. And I will say to you, you probably can't. But I know this. The Bible says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It is divine. You say, Mike, you don't know my story. Again, I I get that. But through Christ, all things are possible to those that believe. And whenever we say something's impossible, we're denying his deity, we're denying his lordship, we're denying his kingship and his power in our lives. Listen, he did not save us and say, now go live your life in your own strength to hope you get by. No, he gave us his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. God, the third person of the Trinity dwelling in us, the same God that is omnipotent, the same God that is all knowledgeable, the same God that is everywhere, is living within us. And we say we can't. I can just hear him going, (laughs) seriously, you've got me. And I work through you a work that will heal not only your heart, but will open the door for someone else to be healed. We'll open up the door for someone else to be healed. You see, If we open up our heart toward God in this area, I believe he gives us not only the capacity to forgive, but he gives us the ability to do so. But here's the catch, and you knew there was going to be a catch, right? Here's the catch. You've got to take the first step and not the other person. Well, Pastor, you know, my aunt, she never has said she's sorry for what happened 40 years ago. You know what? She probably never will. In fact, she's probably forgotten about it. She probably sleeps like a baby every night. And you're still tossing and turning going, I can't believe that happened. You've got to take the first step. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he taught on this. And this is how we're going to wrap up this teaching day. He, he taught on how to forgive. And he, and he laid out some very practical steps that, again, are not easy. But yet again, through his strength and his power in us, He'll enable us to do. In fact, on the Sermon on the Mount, you find that in the Gospels. You can find it in Matthew, you can find it in Mark, and also in Luke. But Matthew chapter 5 is, is where I'm going to look. Because he says there's some steps that, that you need to take that you're not going to feel like taking if you want to live in freedom. And I just want to say to you today, it is worth taking the steps to live in freedom. If you've ever lived in bondage, you've been set free, it is worth taking the steps to live in freedom. And he taught in this Sermon on the Mount about a transformation will take place in our hearts that, that fills, us with, fills us with compassion toward those who hurt us and enables us to break out of the offense and learn to live in the freedom that not only sets them free, but gives us freedom also. And we see it this way. He said the first step we have to take is this, and that is we have to learn to pray for them. And you're like, Mike, I was looking for something a lot more exciting than that. But I think it's one of the hardest things there is to do. You say, "Oh, well, I'll pray for them. I, in fact, I'm going to open up my psalm, I'm going to get to psalm because in Psalms, David's like, oh, God, break the teeth of the wicked. That's how I'll pray for them. No, we, we don't pray Psalm prayers. That, that's not what he's saying. I'll pray for them. i pray they die. No, that, that's not how it works. Because he ties some things to the prayer that we have to understand. Look at this in Matthew 5, 43 through 45. He said, You have heard that it is said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Just pray for them. (laughs) Pray for those who've hurt you. Pray for those who've offended you. Pray for those who've abused you. Again, not saying it's right. Not saying it didn't hurt, not saying that it's wrong. It is wrong. Sin is sin, lies are lies, abuse is abuse. We have to be recognizing that, but you need to learn to pray for them if you're ever going to be set free from them controlling your life, because that's what unforgiveness does. Someone else now is controlling your life. There's a stronghold in you. There, there's a place in you that's been captured by somebody else and unless you learn to let it go, what does it do? It, it directs your life. I've heard it explained this way and it was the way it made most sense to me because when you use words like strongholds and all this, it sounds like you know Lord of the Rings kind of stuff and it gets kind of up there. and Let's just get it practical. A pastor friend of mine explained it this way. He said, he said have you ever been caught by a fish hook? My sister did a really good job of that when I was a kid. She was casting and it caught me right between the shoulder blades. Mm, yeah. And what I learned is every time I moved, what did that fish hook do? Dug a little deeper. And every time she'd move, guess what? I'm moving with her. I'm like, stop. It's <laughs> hurting me. He said a stronghold is just that. When we don't forgive an offense, it's like the enemy has put a hook into our soul. And we try to go through life in joy, in peace, trust, compassion, and all the enemy has to do is just flick that line a little bit and that, 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 that hook digs in. And we, and we turn. And we're hurt and pain comes out of that. And that's what happens we don't forgive. Now we're being controlled by somebody else. Instead of walking in the peace and walking in the love that God has for us. Again, not saying it's right. Not saying what they did is okay. Not saying we have to reconcile. I have some people in my life We're not reconciled. I'm not looking to go have a cup of coffee with them. Example, I worked for several years to a a narcissistic, paranoid leader. Put those two together. And I learned to walk in every day wondering how my life was going to get taken in the wrong direction. For, For several years, he did everything in his power to take away my good name and take away my ministry. When I finally left there, I realized I was so deeply offended. I didn't want anything to do with you, the church, with God. And yet, because I'd walked with the Lord so long, the Holy Spirit kept saying, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. And oh, I knew what to do. Isn't it bad when you know what to do and you don't want to do it anyway? Right? I mean, you know, we're like, oh, I know I'm supposed to pray for him, pastor. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not. Can I tell you, it did, it did not break off of me until I began on my knees calling his name out before my God and saying, God, I want you to bless him. I want you to bless his family, God. God, I want you to release him into the blessings of your life, God. And I had to pray that again and again and again because the longer I prayed for him, the more I experienced the peace of God in my heart. And now, straight up, now I still do work with this guy and we do great together. But that's not possible if I couldn't let that go. Say, Mike, did he ever say he was sorry? No. Never has. And I'm convinced this, I'll attend his funeral and he, still have not, he will not say sorry. That makes sense because he would be dead. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I just realized what I said. <laughs> he will not have said it while he could. There you go. But I do know this, we'll be in heaven together. And it won't matter. It won't matter. But did it hurt? Yeah. Did it affect my family? Yeah. Did it cost me? Yeah. But I look back now and I thank God for it. Because by releasing forgiveness, it's made me who I am now. And that's what God does. When we walk God's way, it works. We walk God's way. It doesn't feel good. It, it doesn't feel right. Can I tell you, the first day I, I got on my knees to pray, for his, pray and call out his name, I wanted to go back to Psalms and do the break your teeth prayer. But I'm like, no, because that's just going to take me deeper in this. I've got to bless him. In fact, that's the second point Jesus said. We are to bless them. In fact, in Romans it says, bless and curse not. They may curse you, but you don't get to curse them. We are to bless them. What does that mean? Speak well of them in public and in private. We don't live dual lives, people. We can't say all the right things on Sunday and the rest of the week, man, just trash them. It doesn't work that way because God knows our thoughts. He knows our heart, everything do. He says this in Luke chapter 6. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for them, pray for those who abuse you. We're supposed to pray. We're also supposed to do good toward them. You say, well, Mike, again, you don't understand. Yeah, I do. Listen, gang, when I laid out this series and I said, okay, we're going to go relational, this is going to be my number one topic. Because of all the years of counseling with people, of all the years of sitting next to you at coffee shops, of all the years of listening to stories, can I tell you this is the number one thing people stumble over. It's the number one thing that holds people back from living the full life that Jesus said is for us. It's not, it's not pornography, it's not this or that, that we call those the big sins. It's unforgiveness. And all through Scripture, Jesus deals with it. All through Scripture, it speaks boldly. I mean, check this out in the book of Romans, Romans uh, that Paul the Apostle gave to us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17, he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You're like, there it is. That's the prayer I want. God, let them burn, let them burn, let them burn. No, we're trying to apply a Western mindset to a Middle Eastern culture that we don't understand. We turn on the stove and guess what happens? Heat comes, right? But in that day, fire was something to be valued. In fact, it was to be treasured. What he's saying is if your enemy doesn't have fire, they can't eat, they can't stay warm, then take some of your fire and give it to them. That's what he's saying. He's not saying burn up their hair, okay? He's saying give them something they need. Why? Because, again, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see our spirituality is supposed to be so beautiful. The way we live is supposed to be so attractive. This Christian life, can I tell you, it is it is to be such a different way of living that those that are far from God will one day say, my life's not like that. And I need my life to be that way. Something's missing. I'm empty inside. They should see in us a different way of living. But we can't do that if we don't follow God's word, who tells us that we need to rid ourselves of all bitterness, all envy, all slander. You say, Well, Mike, you know, nobody knows that I call him those names. <laughs> Did you miss the point that God is omnipresent? That the Holy Spirit's with us always? Guys, God loves you. Jesus is our high priest the book of hebrews says in other words what that means he sits on the right hand of the father right now the bible says he's praying for us and i can envision this going on in the, in that moment where he's asking god to bless you this day because jesus came and walked on this earth and do you know that he experienced everything that you and i've have experienced have you ever been abandoned he was you ever been slandered he was Have you ever had friends give up on you and walk away? He did. Have you ever been abused? He was. Now as he sits next to the Father and he hears our hearts cry, hears your prayers, I can imagine the conversation going like this when you say, God, I'm so angry. God, what they did to me was wrong. I'm tired of carrying that. I can imagine Jesus leaning over to the Father and saying, Father, that's really hard. What they're going through is really, really tough. But I know you're enough, God, for them. So, God, would you pour out your mercy? Would you pour out your grace? And, God, would you enable them to do what they think is impossible? Because, God, Father, You sent me to die that they're not bound anymore. You see, to really walk in this, we have to forgive, but it begins this way. We have to also know what it is to be forgiven. Because until we know what it is to be forgiven, we we feel like we don't owe anybody anything. And some of you this morning, you know, there's parts of your life that you need to give to God. For some of you, you need to start from square one, give him everything. Because you've been doing your life your way your way of justice, your way of relationship. And quite honestly, if you and I were to sit down with a cup of coffee today, I could probably ask you two or three questions and you'd find out you're living in bondage, you don't even realize it. Because other people are affecting you in such a way that the life doesn't have that sweet smell of life and love that God has given us. But you're not going to find that until you've been forgiven. And then you forgive the greatest thing you can do on this day, we're about to celebrate some folks who've received Christ as their Savior. The greatest thing you can do on this day is recognize your need of our God, who's been calling and calling and calling your life from your first breath, who understands your weakness, who doesn't sit back and diminish your pain, but gave His one and only Son to go to a cruel cross and receive upon him a a just punishment of sin by man that now offers us that which we can never purchase, that which we don't deserve, but that which gives us life. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us healing. And he offers us wholeness. And if that's you today and you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, the greatest thing you can do this morning is surrender your life to him. You don't have to join my this church or any church. You don't have to come shake my hand. I'm just a pastor. You don't have to go to a certain class and figure out what you know what heights you got to jump over. No, it's simply this. Asking God to forgive you. Thanking him for what Jesus did. And here's the key. Surrendering your life to him. Cuz there can only be one king. There can only be one lord. And until you settle that, you're doing life your way. And my prayer today is this, you no longer live in that bondage. Saint, listen, some of you today, you've been serving God a long time. But yet some of you today are still being lived in control by someone other than you. Some of you are still being controlled by people who've hurt you, harmed you. You've not been able to forgive. You say, Mike, I've said I forgive them. Pray for them. Bless them. God's words work. His way works. It's not about emotion. It's not about just checking a box. It's about a heart. It says, God, I'm going to pray that you bless them until you release me from this God. And God, I find freedom that only you can bring. And my prayer for you today is that when we pray together in a moment, would you just call out, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're afraid to do that, just call them out by name. You don't have to shout it out. You may be sitting next to them. Speak it in your... Begin to pray and let God release you as you release them. Can we do that?